As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. for Gordon. First time left-footed cross and turned in Sandro Tonali with the most perfect start to his Newcastle United career. Lifts in a good ball, Bottman back across, Alexander Isak restores Newcastle United's advantage in the penalty area. Isak has chipped it over the keeper and into the back of the net. Harvey Barnes might be away, rolls in, Callum Wilson! Oh, hello. Absolutely glorious that, wasn't it? Welcome back to Pod on the Tyne and welcome back, Jacob Whitehead. How the devil are you, son? I'm very good. It's been a hot while. Obviously, you know, I'm just waiting, wait for the important stuff to happen. That's it. And come back in. Been away backpacking, haven't you, around uh, Oceana? Yeah, although, I mean, I I must confess that while listening to the podcasts, while being away, I noticed how much George spoke about being in the USA. So I'm absolutely keen but i'm not going to be that person talking about my gap year uh, in the uh women's world cup so i might try and have an amnesty brought the lovely weather home with you as well haven't you it's absolutely paint it down outside so yeah. thanks for that cheers for that there's like that down there as well to be fair was it? it's fair winter yeah well you, you've also already george has done pre-season and he's broken already He's uh, that's why he's not on the pod today, isn't Taylor? Yeah, no, George today. He's uh, he's taking a well-earned break. And well, I say no, George, but it seems he couldn't resist the urge to chip in. Uh, so here's what he had to say after all the dust settled on Saturday. Right, so I'm leaving you to it today, whilst I have a much-needed day off. But I could not resist saying the following things. Firstly, I called the team exactly right, exactly right. Sometimes you just have to accept and appreciate that experience counts for something in this world. And decades of accumulated knowledge pointed me in the right direction. And safe to say, 
you will have a lot to learn. Stick with me, kids. Secondly, I don't think we need those big flame shooter things that we saw before kickoff. <laughs> I have first degree burns on my face. I don't want to see that again. That felt a bit tin pot wolves to me. I said that on Twitter and I was accused of being old, which is absolutely undeniable. But if I wanted facial exfoliation, I would pay for it myself. Thirdly, blimey, that was just incredible. It's like we're talking about consolidation. We're talking about is this a season to take a breath and all the rest of it. And Newcastle just picked up where they left off, but more so stronger, powerful, full of running, full of energy and just full of quality. Tonali, absolutely incredible. Isak, astonishing. Gordon looks like Anthony Gordon. I mean, brilliant. And then to see those players coming off the bench, Wilson and Barnes, Sean, Jacob, and then Elliot Anderson at the end. I mean, my God, it's like the energy lifted each time somebody came on. Brilliant to see them all contribute. You know, we had that feeling. It's like, oh, Aston Villa, good team, aren't they? Yeah, good team. And this is a tough start. And I still think you come away from that match thinking that Villa are going to have a decent season, but Newcastle blew them away. It's just one game, but my God, what a game. What a start. Brilliant. See you on Thursday. I knew, I knew before we even pressed play on that clip that he was going to have something to say about the flamethrowers. I just knew. I'm not, I'm not a massive just fan, knew. Like, I'm going to have to be honest. He didn't seem to want any sort of sensory experience for on Saturday, to be fair. Before kickoff, he put earplugs on because it was all getting a bit too much. Drowned out of Gallagher singing, sat there soaking. <laughs> Did he have a little tartan blanket on his knee as well, bless him. Chris, what do you make of that? Well, I've got a few things to pick up on. First of all, apparently Anthony Gordon looks like Anthony Gordon, according to George, which I'm, I'm pleased that he clarified that because, you know, he, he does look like Anthony Gordon. Yeah, that's, he does, that's, yeah. That's exactly who he looks like. That's that's the bare minimum I would expect from Anthony Gordon, to be <laughs> Precisely. honest. Precisely. So, really, minimum. that's actually a bit of an insult for the way that he played on Saturday. And, and when he comes to his predicted team... I'm refusing to give him that because he wouldn't even tell us if it was a predicted team or whether it was a team that he would have selected. So on by default, yeah. he doesn't qualify on that front. In terms of uh, the predictions that people made last week as well, I just want to point that, although for a wider point, this is a shame for Newcastle United fans, it's going to be a nightmare to get there again, there have subsequently been train strikes announced for the weekend that George is going to Brighton. So that is now actually happening. So... In one sense, that's hilarious because it's George, but in the other sense, as I say, it's ridiculous once again that Newcastle United fans are going to have to. Yeah. So hopefully that is so. Not not in terms of this. That's not me commenting on the need to strike. That's on the comment that, again, football fans are going to be affected by this. So I hope yeah. that there is some sort of resolution that's made easier than previous trips there, other than for George, who I hope it takes a long, long time to get there. He hits it down there, doesn't he? Bless him. Right, OK, we're going to have a little break and we'll be back in two shakes of Darren Peacock's lustrous ponytail. Uh, we'll be back with some Aston Villa Newcastle analysis to follow. See you in a bit. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So, Chris Wolf, an absolutely ludicrous start to the season. Newcastle United 5, Aston Villa 1. What a way to kick off the Premier League campaign. Absolutely phenomenal way for Newcastle United to kick off the Premier League campaign. It was, by the end, an absolute thrashing, and it could and probably should have been more. Oh, absolutely. But as Eddie Howe was keen to stress after the match, and unlike sometimes when he sort of says that you know it was a close game and that Newcastle win 5-0 or whatever, and you don't entirely believe him, for certainly 45 minutes, maybe even an hour, it was, and he just how described it as a strange match, and I think it was because Newcastle came out really, really fast, got the start, got the goal, and then Villa equalised, and really, including the injury which is going to come on to Tyrone Mings, the, it sort of sucked the life out of the game a little bit, and Villa seemed quite comfortable. Newcastle were getting a little bit more on the break, but really Villa were in control of the match, and, and Newcastle needed half time to really inject themselves again even though they're winning 2-1 and I thought second half the longer the game went on the fitter Newcastle looked the better they looked and also the more ragged Villa became as they tried to push on and get the equaliser and there was a ruthless efficiency about Newcastle's second half which is a strange thing to say when they could have had seven or eight goals but they scored at the right moment to really yeah. condemn Villa and I thought that you saw all of the best attributes of the Newcastle side from last season plus some extra finesse in the form of uh, Sandra Tonali in the middle and also the increased depth on the bench and really the exciting thing is this is just a start for Newcastle there is a lot more to come and so that was quite the statement performance I agree absolutely and Jacob all the talk in the pub when the team came out beforehand an hour before kickoff was how long is it going to take Sandro Tonali to adjust to Premier League football well the answer was six minutes and he pops up with a goal. Yeah, well, I mean, according to George Coken, he was the only person who predicted he was going to start this weekend. Um, it was interesting. He started ahead of uh, Sean Longstaff, but what a job he did. I mean, I think I tweeted out about how it took Tonali a year to settle in Milan, partly because he was sort of getting used in a slightly, in a position he probably wasn't that well suited to, but a year to settle at the San Siro and six minutes to do it on time sides and what we really saw which was nice was Howes talked about wanting to have this more fluid midfield and it was nice to see yes. Tonali and Bruno actually rotate between the number six role and the right-sided number eight like there's a, a couple of points where Tonali was the deepest player inside particularly you know at set pieces and then you saw twice uh, in the first 10 minutes him bursting forward to whether it be leading the press or leading through uh, to be played in by Gordon. I mean, he just got around so much of the pitch, didn't he? He did. covered so much ground, Chris, didn't he? He was all over the place. He did. And I mean, bringing up that call that Jacob made between Tonali and Longstaff, which Howe basically intimated afterwards was was the, the, the key call, it came down to fitness. Howe said, I've, he said, it was interesting in his interview on Sky before the match, he said, I've picked what I, part of his answer is, I've picked what I think is the fittest team. Hmm. And Newcastle knew they had to be fitter than Villa. Speaking to people in and around the camp, I know that Newcastle went in this game thinking they'd lost the midfield battle in April at Villa Park, and they felt if they got on top of that in this game, then they would win. 
And to make that call on that Tenali was going to be ahead of Longstaff, I think it was partly to do with the fact that Longstaff hadn't trained continuously for the last few weeks. But you bring Tenali in, you know from everything that he does that you're going to have slick passing, you're going to have one-touch moves, you're going to have really good vision. Yeah. But it's Willie Murray in his first match in the Premier League, the physical output that Sean Longstaff would bring. And the biggest compliment you can give to him beyond everything else is that he did. Kev Lawson, a friend of the show, highlighted some of the points. And one of the points he showed was that of all the Newcastle players, only Joel Linton had more pressures, so try to press high than Sandro Tonali did, who had 31 pressures during the match. So that wow. shows that he brought into that. And as Jacob said, the fluidity between him and Bruno Gimaraes, the both off the ball and on it, and then also the little link-ups between the two of them and Joel Linton and some of the slick one-touch passing, the pass and move, the little triangles. That's exactly what Eddie Howe wants from his midfield. And Sandro Tonali's just knitted in immediately and looks right at home. I think also some of the concern was how do Italian midfielders adapt to the Premier League as a league because it's typically been an area which Serie A players haven't necessarily adapted to partially because of the intensity of play and that Villa midfield when you're up against players like Douglas Luiz and John McGinn if there's one thing which you aren't going to get against John McGinn it's a slow paced game and Tonali picked that up so well which was impressive particularly because I mean Pre-season, he wasn't necessarily a standout player. There were questions, probably misguided ones. But yeah, that was encouraging. I think for me, you can always tell a quality player when it it always looks like he's got time on the ball. And it always looked like he had a spare five or six seconds before anybody was anywhere near him. But because he was moving constantly, he was dropping into little pockets of space. Every time the back the back four picked the ball up, he was available for them to, to, to bring the ball out from the back. And he was so good at that. And I spent a good five, ten minutes watching him towards the end of the game when Newcastle were fairly comfortable. And he was just left and right across the pitch. He never But he's one of those players who he looks like he's got more time on the ball, but he doesn't use more time than he needs to. Yeah. So a lot of it is one touch or it immediately knows what he's going to do. So he keeps the play moving on. So although he could have so much time on it, that the opposition don't have time to react. And I mean, we saw that with so many of his of his first time balls. The one which sets up Barnes for the Wilson chance that, that Martinez makes a good save from the Wilson should score was just a sublime bit of play between him, Joe Linton, the little move and the little pass through. And he does that all over the pitch. Yeah. and he can play off both feet I mean some of it, the crossfield ball he played with his left foot from the right hand side of the pitch to the left was just ridiculous I mean he's right he, he, he isn't he isn't primarily left footed as well So, but he is almost equally as adept on both feet and that gives Newcastle additional options as well he always has the ability to go either side if he needs to and that means Newcastle can play out of tighter situations and play through the Villa press as they did very often yeah, and here's Eddie Howe on Tonali's start. When you consider it's his first game in, in England and how he approached the game, how calm he was before the match, he's taken a lot of information on and in terms of how we play and what we expect of him. He's, he's just taken it in his stride and I thought he deserved to start today and yeah, he was magnificent for us. We work very hard at trying to give teams problems with our midfield shape. So there is a, trust me, there is a structure. It's just we, we try and make it as unpredictable as we can. I have to credit those players because they... Uh, their intelligence, their game understanding is of the highest level and they, they've all got different characteristics as I said earlier. You know, Joe Linton's so good off the ball and so strong physically and then you've got the, the technical ability of Sandro and, and Bruno and so they, they, they we know it worked well today. Quite an amazing debut for Sandro Tonali. Uh, Chris, Alexander Isak takes an early lead in his goals versus Joe Linton bookend race uh, and we have to say happy birthday to Big Joe as well. Alexander Isak looked sharp, mind, didn't he? He was... 
He was hurrying those defenders any chance he got. And obviously, the his second goal, uh, he put the shits up Conta, didn't he? Who, uh, who completely lost his marbles and, and tried to step over when there was no step over there to be hard. He did, it, and he made my belief that Callum Wilson should maybe start ahead of him look ridiculous as well. Although I did, as I, <laughs> I will defend myself by saying I thought that, that the, he will get more than 20 goals this season if he stays fit. And I think we've seen evidence of that because they just couldn't handle him. And I think Villa couldn't really handle the pace that Newcastle played at in general. Newcastle always looked an extra step ahead of them. It was it was actually weird watching it at some parts because it's clearly because Newcastle are playing at such a higher speed than Villa, but Villa looked laboured, and I don't think there were. It's just that, that when you saw Gordon at one stage uh, in his own half, nutmeg the Villa opposition player and then basically attack down the left-hand side. And when you saw Alexander Isak and Sandro Tonali running in behind, Miguel Almiron coming in off the wing and them not really knowing what to do with all that pace and movement. And Isak just creates so many problems for, for, for the, the opposition defence because he can come deep, he can go short, uh, he can run in behind, he comes wide, uh, he, he, he's... he's Footwork is just sublime, and oh, his touch is impeccable. Oh, his touch, it is, Beautiful. and I mean the first one is a, a very good striker's finish. Really, stays on side. Well, I mean I have a wider issue with the the offside rule in general. I'm glad Newcastle scored, but I have a wider problem with the offside rule that he could be stood offside to begin with, then come back onside immediately, receive the ball and score. But that's a wider point that I'm not going to get into about the offside rule. And 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 Botman stays onside, does very very well. Again, that Tonali's involved there. Tonali set piece from Trippier gives it to him and that shows again that Newcastle are going to have that additional option as I mentioned last week beyond Kieran Trippier Isak slides in and finishes takes it really well his second goal the finish is just sublime it's silly isn't it, it well it, it's, it's, a it's the fact that again he pressures Konsa who looks like he's dealt with the situation but having Isak follow him in behind right basically to his own byline he then miscontrols Isak bears down on goal and you can see it's a very very much a last minute decision he described it himself afterwards as a cheeky finish and I, I think that sums it up perfectly because he completely sits down Martinez who doesn't expect it and with the covering defender really what he needs to do is exactly what he does but to have the clarity of thought and then the actual ability to, to dink it perfectly and get it in exactly the position he wants in in that when he's running at that pace and being under that sort of pressure I just think was absolutely phenomenal I wrote about Isaac last week um, and there's a couple of bits which just really were showcased in that goal um, one being one of his teammates when he first broke into the AIK team at 16 describes his best attribute as being sneakiness but in a good way and the way that he almost <laughs> like came that, up yeah. behind Esri Consa, like the shark in Jaws, I think really just sort of showed that off. And then uh, I was also speaking to Henrik Larsson. I don't think I ended up using this quote, but I asked him whether these sorts of variety of finishes, which he has, um, I think is in the Wolves game last year that he really showed off his variety as well, possibly against Forest. But whether those were something which is purely instinctive or something you have to work on as a striker. And he was making the point that, yes, it's, instinctive and it may look messier on balance but he does have to have this perfect balance the whole time to do that sort of thing that's the bit you're born with that kind of skill and yeah that that, that goal just showcased it it was beautiful it was a beautiful goal it seemed to take forever to come down as well once he clipped it it just seemed to float it looked like it was hanging in the air and you can there's a great shot of from behind the goal of the defender running in underneath it and going Oh, no. I'm nowhere near this. <laughs> Almost from a press box, because it flew so weirdly, 
with sort of backspin on it. I wondered if it just got a little deflection yeah. off the defender, and that was why it looped in. I mean, it's only sort of watching the replay. But I was like, oh no, oh no. No, I was astonishing. That's goal. cold. Brilliant goal. Uh, Chris Anthony Gordon was terrific as well, wasn't he? And then we had Harvey Barnes and Callum Wilson coming off the bench to show the depth. But Anthony Gordon in the first half, he gave Matty Cash the run around, didn't he? He was really, he really, really looked good. like Anthony Gordon. I thought. Um, just the, he yeah. really did look like the, him. Yeah. No, I mean he was he was from the very first minute. Certainly in the first half, Gordon just caused so many problems. And again, it's that pace. It was the willingness to be direct, but also those little interchanges with certain players, particularly with Joel Linton. Obviously, that's where the first goal comes yeah. from. He, he has a sort of given goal with Joel Linton. Tonali's won it higher in the feet up, up the pitch. Bruno Gomorraes has the shot saved. But Newcastle keep pressing high and he has a given goal. And it's quite a simple given goal, but then to... to Deliver with his left foot the cross that he did was was just brilliant and I thought that yeah he was, he was really really good he had the next interchange with Tonali but Tonali now he scored again as well and I just thought that this was the performance which he's been threatening to to offer up during preseason but to to translate that from preseason into the Premier League match all the pressure that's on all the hype that's there. And he really did deliver. And yes, he looked like he tired maybe a little bit in the second half, but given the output that he put in and given the, the defensive cover that he had at one stage for, for Diaby as well, who was who was through on goal and, uh, and and Gordon made sure that he tracked all the way back to cover in from a, I think it was a Newcastle set piece where Villa had countered and he showed that willingness to come back and defend it and, and force him wider. So he had to shoot from a tight angle and his left, just typified what I thought was a breathless performance from him. I just had two notes on Anthony Gordon I made during the game. One being, I love his first touch. He he takes, it's always really proactive. Like he's not just kind of taking it on his back foot and then deciding what to do. He kind of steps forward with it and actually aggressively moves it, sort of aggressively moves it on as if he's going to visit somewhere, which is really refreshing and kind of discombobulates the defenders. But the second one is I was then going through the average positions of players after after the match and we were used last season to seeing how good Willock and Jalinton were at rotating to a number eight role and a wing role. And when one of them wasn't playing it really did feel like Newcastle lost something. Um you could see this for examples, but their average position was basically exactly the same as the other, which just I think indicates how much and how fluid those two were able to kind of roll over each other, which is really encouraging just for the versatility of the side because when Willett comes back, there's going to be quite a battle royale for that place. Absolutely, yeah. Such a lot of depth across the front line now as well. Yes, Chris? Well, I was just going to come in on the on the Harvey Barnes point as well. That I mean, what an option to be able to bring off the bench with, with 22 <laughs> minutes remaining and, and make the impact he did. I mean, I have to be honest, and I know that, that Villa was struggling, he was trying to find a way to get back in the game. I found Unai Emery's decision to bring on a, a centre-back and move Cash further up the pitch and put a centre-back in a, in a sort of right-back, right-wing-back position was a, rather odd when he had Harvey Barnes coming onto the field to maraud down that side and very much... He took that on, and the a lot of it was simple passing again, but brilliant passing. I've mentioned the Tenali first time pass through, which creates the the Callum Wilson second opportunity, which he should score, and, and Martinez saves. But you've also got Jacob Murphy who comes on and plays an absolutely perfectly timed pass to send Barnes through for his goal, which he takes very very well. But you saw everything that Harvey Barnes is about, and, and for Newcastle to have that ability to stretch teams in those final twenty minutes of matches, and with the additional time you're going to have in injury time of games this season, to have fresh legs like that for an already super fit team like Newcastle means that there is no respite for Villa and it isn't Newcastle aren't going to settle for a 2 or 3-1. They're going to push it to 5 and possibly it should have been more than that 
one and obviously Wilson does score could have had another but also just that ability to run through Isak should have had a hat-trick clean through on goal um, played through and actually shot at the keeper Poss- possibly the easier certainly an easier finish than the chip the dinky had but he actually put it straight at Martinez and that that's just right, yeah. that pace that direct running the smartness of the, of, the, of the passing as well the fact that Newcastle quite often particularly Barnes played what is a very very simple pass but it was unselfish but it's it's the right pass yeah. it was you threw on goal but just played across to Callum Wilson who did score and then should have scored that's exactly what you need and what you want and I just thought that, that again that shows so much more to come can Barnes do that from the start of matches what will Wilson be like when he comes at the start of 11 just exciting in a, a 25 minute cameo from Harvey Barnes he got a goal and assist and he should have had another assist I mean that just shows you doesn't it it was it was an incredible debut from him um and I did spot, I loved it as well, when he did his arrow celebration. Did you see the guy in the crowd with no top on doing it back to him? Yeah. Beautiful. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's been all over Twitter and all over social media, but it is wonderful. And the little flick of the wrist afterwards uh, as, as he releases the uh, the imaginary arrow back to Harvey Barnes. Honestly, beautiful. I, I must have watched that about 30, 40 times yesterday. It's great. Um Jacob, how does this compare to that performance against Spurs last season when we batted them 6-1? Villa, seemingly a much better opposition, but tough for them this week. They've now lost two players to horrible knee injuries. But it's a different kind of game to that Spurs game, isn't it? Yeah, the Spurs one felt much more, and this isn't to reduce it, but it felt much more like some freak occurrences with the speed of of the start. I think Spurs were at a much kind of lower ebb than Villa were. Um, and, but what's quite nice about this was the way that Newcastle kind of problem solved as the game went on. They kind of created space for themselves. They recognised how Villa's fullbacks weren't doing that well positionally, and kind of as the game went on, managed to find those. And yeah, like you alluded to, though, I think Newcastle were helped out by that injury to Mings. I mean, yeah. usually we take the piss out of how a bit for saying that saying that thrashings are actually quite close games. But I think on this occasion he was actually. Right, because um, yeah, that Mings game, that Mings injury, sorry, um, did upset them. I guess they brought on Pau Torres for his debut. Who's, I mean, you could see it was a beautiful pass of the ball, but they just kind of were much more hesitant, didn't quite know how to play together, and Newcastle could just exploit that rapaciously. Yeah, St James's Park were uh, were pleasingly gracious towards Tyrone Mings when he went off, Chris, but that looks like a bad one, doesn't it? And it looked so innocuous when it happened as well. Uh, it was a point I was going to make earlier on about Alexander Izak and using his physicality, but that was an instance where him and Mings went shoulder to shoulder. No blame uh, can be uh, given to Alexander Izak for that one. It's just one of those freak injuries, isn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, that was Isak again, running behind, stretching the defence out wide, pulling a centre-back out wide. But unfortunately, Tyrone Mings went down and, and it seemed his, his knee buckled a little bit and yeah really an awful one and you could see uh, Kieran Trippier was 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 very concerned quite a few Villa players were concerned and were, were gesturing yeah. across the bench and Martinez and Trippier almost had a sort of discussion where Martinez was saying yeah his knee seemed to go and buckle a little bit so very concerning and really hope that he recovers well because I know that Villa unsurprisingly released a statement saying that he's, he's, he's going to undergo an operation and it's going to be a long time I think for him out so uh, never nice to see at all but yeah everyone wishes him well. Definitely not. Um, another big talking point in the game, Chris, was uh, was it or was it not a red card for Martinez when he came out and flattened Miggy Almiron? I mean, say flattened, he rugby tackled him, didn't he? Let's be honest, he, he took him down. What's your opinion on this? Do you think it's a yellow or a red? Do you think it should I mean, have been a red? I mean, he didn't rugby tackle him, did he? I mean, he does pull him down, it's a definite foul, but he doesn't rugby tackle him. He doesn't. Well, I've... 
I've never played rugby before, so that's what it looks like to me. <laughs> he, he, he pulls him down. It's definite obstruction, and he was just giving him a cuddle, Chris, yeah, wasn't yeah, he? That's what it was. Him. He's so adorable, Miguel Almiron. He's only giving a little cuddle as he went but, past. That's what it was. I mean, he got himself into all sorts of trouble, Martinez, and the thing that bailed him out was the fact that it was basically on the touchline and you had, I think it was Pau Torres who was covering in, actually on the box, it had sort of anticipated that something might go wrong. And so by the letter of the law, it, it is a yellow card, and so therefore I wouldn't dispute it at all. I know some people are saying he should have been sent off for God's, but the letter of the law, is it's not It's not a clear goal-scoring opportunity in the sense that it is out wide, you do have a covering defender, I know the goalkeeper's out. You can debate whether... The, the things should change. I mean, Nick Miller talked about this in his, his, his Monday column on the Athletic Ways, talked about three issues as to whether a professional foul like that should be a red card because it slows up the game, it prevents you from, from having that clear opportunity. And I think that's a wider debate to be had. But by the letter of the law, yellow card was fair. I'm interested in this thing about the goalkeeper being out of his ground because I get that it's there's defenders on the cover <clears throat> and I get that it's not a clear goal score or an opportunity as such. But if the keeper misses him, and say if he tries to make that challenge and Miggy skips past him, and now he takes a touch, he's got it on his left foot. There's a defender there, but it's a defender. It's not a goalkeeper. So to me, a goalkeeper, if, if, if for instance, you swap the positions of that defender and that goalkeeper, and it was a defender making that challenge with a goalkeeper 20 yards out of his ground, I think it's a red card every time because I think you would say the goal's empty. And if you've got a defender there who can't handle the ball either, how is that not a goal-scoring opportunity? But the goal isn't empty. and It's not as if the goal is gaping right in front of him. I agree with that, and we can make the wider point as to whether you change the rule, but the rule itself is that's not a that's not, that's not not deemed enough of a of a certainty that he's going to score. I think there's a strong likelihood that he could lay it off to someone else and they score, but I think there's too many variables for that to have been an automatic red card. Now, I know most people are probably going to be listening to this and saying that's complete rubbish, but that's that's the law. That is, that is the, the letter of the law. No, no, I understand that's the law. I just I just thought it's interesting if it was a switch of defender and goalkeeper. If it was a defender who'd made that tackle with a goalkeeper that far off his line, would it then have been given as a red card as a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity? Because I thought it might have been. I thought if you have a goalkeeper 20 yards off his line and a defender makes that challenge. To what extent no. does it also make a difference that Martinez is clearly making no attempt to play the ball? I remember when... A brave battling Everton won one nil at Goodison over Newcastle two seasons ago, and Allen got sent off for making absolutely no attempt to tackle the Newcastle player on the break. Just sort of clearly clipped that his ankles. That was dangerous. It wasn't that was clear dangerous. Go- no, it wasn't. It was. It was high. It was a dangerous tackle. It was knee height. It was knee height that tackle. He just gave him a little trip up. I mean, a little, a little friendly nudge, was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, it genuinely wasn't dangerous. Um, <laughs> And that was what they sent it off for, was for the reason that he was making no attempt to play the ball, rather than the standard of the foul itself. And I just feel like Martinez is with a combination of the uh, of the opportunity versus the lack of actual attempt. Kind of, for me, he meant so I agree with Taylor for the red. Well, the debate for that will rage on and on, even though it's a yellow and it's not going to be changed now, is it, Chris? It's too late for all of that. It has happened. Uh, But do get in touch if you want to discuss anything. Uh, We're all on Twitter, and as is the show now as well, at Pod on the Tyne. And if you're not on Twitter, send us an email. The address is podonthetyne at theathletic.com. And if you haven't got email, maybe just send us a smoke signal or carry a pigeon or something like that, and we'll try and get it. Telegram. Telegram, yeah, good. Chris Woff, is it St. James's Park? Stop. (laughs) (laughs) It'll go with my house phone, so yeah. Yeah. 42 cents a letter, I believe. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Newcastle's monster start of the season could hit Godzilla proportions uh, if we get a win this weekend at Man City. Uh, question from Kev on Twitter. Based on that performance, uh, would you revise your predictions for the season, Chris? Well, I, I know... It's a bit early, isn't yeah, it? It, it? It is a little bit early. It's also, as I will repeatedly say, my predictions are always rubbish. So uh, whatever I say is likely to prove <laughs> to be incorrect. So uh, people probably don't want me to revise my prediction because if I do, then suddenly Newcastle may start going downhill. But that that was a, a performance which I think will make some people outside of Newcastle sit up and take notice. I know a lot has been made of the fact that Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher haven't had Newcastle in there to finish in the top six this season in their predictions. And a lot of people outside have said that Newcastle will do well to get in the top six and the like. I think all of us predict... I like that, though. Yeah, well, I, I mean... I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm always of the opinion that I don't really care what other people think, but equally I understand that it does, it does great on people. And maybe there is this sort of little maybe snobbery towards Newcastle, this expectation that that, that, that they are going to fall back after last season's height and the, the way that they play, but they still have Eddie Howe and this coaching staff who've done an excellent job with these players have added depth to that, uh, albeit they could still do with another one or two players here and there. But it's certainly a positive way to start the season. I think you want to play Man City early, ideally really across the course of the season. It does take them a little bit longer to get in the matches. Kevin De Bruyne obviously went off injured uh, last weekend. It's still one of the toughest challenges in, in world football, as Eddie Howe described it. But I think Newcastle go there with a heck of a lot of confidence. I know they have confidence within the camp. They believe that they can go there and give Manchester City a heck of a game. They were slightly unfortunate last season throughout points of that match. I thought that, that, that really... That was when they were in the, the sort of lull in, in form in the, in the season, just either side of the, of, the, of the Carabao Cup final. But actually, they weren't massively outplayed. And I think that with the, with the options they have, that Man City won't fancy facing Newcastle in this sort of form. And Man City play midweek in the in the European Super Cup. Newcastle have the entire week to prepare for it. So, uh, yeah, I think bring it on. And really, for the rest of the season, let's see when Newcastle go. Once it starts being two or three matches every week, that that's that's where the tough challenge comes in. Yeah. But you, to start the season that positively means that everyone can go into the rest of the campaign with such optimism. Absolutely. And do we think the the, the quick start, Jacob, against uh, against Villa, do we think that could affect transfer plans? Newcastle have obviously been in the market for a backup right-sided centre-back. Uh, Fabian Scher played against Villa and looked completely fine. Didn't look like he had any problems. Do we think that's going to change things? Centre-back is the position where if you look at the squad, they do look most vulnerable. You'd hope that they'd be planning this long enough in advance that a fast start wouldn't radically change their plans. So that sort of feels a bit like the old Newcastle, maybe. 
I mean, right side centre back is had was going into the summer a position Newcastle have wanted to strengthen. I think they've found it a very difficult position in terms of availability in the market, inflated nature of it, and whether the exact There's right very yeah whether the exact that. correct player they want is actually available for a price that they're they're willing to pay or as looks like they're going to have to be now. How described. Newcastle having to be creative in the market at his pre-match press conference on Friday and asked to explain and go further on that he basically said well that means that may have to be loans with options and obligations to buy staggered payments alike and so for Newcastle to get an agreement with their FFP considerations that may be a position too far for them and the fact that Dan Byrne can cover further inside the fact that when Emil Kraft hopefully returns to fitness. He can play as an emergency centre-back when necessary. Obviously, Jamal Lascelles remains club captain and is still there. They do have not ideal options, but they do have options there that they can play with. So I think that that, that is looking unlikely at this stage that they will be able to get a right-sided centre-back in. Yeah, and also, Chris, as well, a bit of uh, noise this morning on the internet, on that internet, about uh, Kieran Tierney and possibly Mark Kukurea loan uh, deals that are being explored by the club. Is there anything you've heard about that? Well, Kieran Tierney's been uh, sort of on the list for, for a long period of time. There were a lot of noises a few months ago that Newcastle were very close to signing him. That was never quite our information, but they have been very interested in him. Um, Arsenal seem to, to to want to move him on. May may need the money now. So whether a, a loan with a with an option or obligation works for them, unsure. Mark Kukurea is an interesting one. Sort of noises have been floated a couple of times on him. Again, a bit of versatility there. Can play as a as a left sided centre back. Can play as a left wing back. As a left back. Mm. Uh, Chelsea given their million players they've signed need to keep moving players on as well. So they yeah. would sort of fit the profile of playing Newcastle or maybe looking for there. And and as I said, with Dan Byrne able to cover in at centre-back, maybe extra depth at left-back is what they'll be looking for. So I think that that's partly, possibly where they're going to be looking for over the course of the next few weeks. But still, deals are going to be difficult to do. It may be a case of if they are going to do loans with options, obligations, that would be very much towards the end of the window when these sort of deals become freed up a little bit. Yeah, and speaking of money and deals, Jurgen Klopp updated his opinion on the vulgarity of the Premier League transfer spending after Liverpool's £110 million bid for Moises Caicedo. Did I realise that I was wrong? Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's more than enough from him. Uh, he, he did, though, have a new dig at us uh, with regards to that new technical area ruling. Uh, Jacob, you were watching how in Tyndall closely at the weekend. They were doing a kind of tag team tandem thing where they had, you know, go in, you go Jason and call their physio prick for five minutes and then I'll come out later on and shout at Dan Byrne. It was, it was a, bit, a bit of a funny one, that. It was like a trip to the ballet, the way they're kind of swapping in and out for dance with Graham Scott. Um, dance. It was beautiful at times, synchronicity. Um but you sort of saw them pushing their luck, and it was quite fun. I mean, there's two games going on on that pitch. Um, so Howell went out first, he had the first go, then Tyndall kind of barged his way out, looking a bit cross for the set piece. I think it was after nine minutes where both went out together for the first time, and the Villa bench were up in arms. Clearly, they had probably more important things they should have been focusing on, but Graham Scott went up, tried to knock him back, and Eddie Howe, after said we had a few friendly conversations, mentioned it all felt a little bit petty. Um, but yeah, I wrote a piece which was out this morning talking about the different tactics they had, which I named the rope dope Three Stooges, the Trojan Horse. <laughs> Eddie Howe being Eddie Howe, he had multiple plans for how to deal with this. Yeah, I think there will be games where this becomes a bit more frustrating and where they do both want to be out there. It doesn't actually apply in Champions League games. So luckily, uh, luckily under those stakes, the two both will be able to do it. 
it's going to be interesting to see how they get around this. I have images in my head of Jason Tindall being suspended from the roof of the uh, of the of the Milburn stand in some kind of harness or on some kind of pulley system out there with Eddie Howe and then just being winched up in the air. I like the idea uh, of him having a pair of binoculars from the from the bench and just sort of having to turn into a twitcher to, to sort of check out what's happening with. Uh, um, check out what's happening with set pieces. What do you make of this rule, Chris? Petty bollocks, isn't it? I mean, it, I mean, it is. But I think the rule's been there for quite a while. It's just been sort of reinforced, really. I mean, you get loads of people in the technical area, which I suppose is what they'll say they are trying to prevent. But obviously, Newcastle's the obvious one where Tyndall and Howe are almost unique in the, in the two of them being there together. I think internally, there's almost an acceptance that across the course of the season, Jason Tyndall may have to take a yellow card or two, or may, perhaps even a red card, as he can be on the sideline, if necessary. Oh, wow. If if it's a moment which really requires him, and he can't sort of the, the, the leash breaks and and Mag Dog uh, is broke, breaks free, I think that that's maybe something that they accept. It, it it is frustrating. It is sort of for the uh, fourteen years of management, or however long or longer that, that that Tyndall and Howe have been together, they've basically worked in tandem like this, and so that they are having to adapt. But I think that if there's any duo who can adapt and can make sure that they still get their message across, those two will be it. Right then, just about to wrap things up. Anything else before we finish? Well, I just wanted to say, I mean, you've already asked me, as loads of people have on social media, whether predictions are going to be changed and now whether Newcastle are title contenders and the like. But I I want to say that if there's one manager who you'd want to be in charge in a situation like this, when Tyneside, as it does go through, it's very, very significant highs and lows the one person who's going to remain calm is Eddie Howe. And I know that that has been the message behind the scenes already is that we are, it's a wonderful start, but this is the first game of what is going to be a long and difficult season and that he will manage to keep yeah. a lid on things. He's, he's he's found that perfect balance, as I've said before, where he tells supporters to keep dreaming and he wants that sort of fervor and that belief that can go on. But internally for him, this it is the the focus genuinely is on Manchester City this weekend, and that it's a blank slate from what just happened on Saturday and going forward. And there, and I think that that's an exciting combination. I think that that is precisely what this football club needs right now, and what this fan base needs right now is the the man who is actually in the very centre of it all is not getting carried away. Will not suddenly think that that, that get ahead of himself. That he will stay focused on the here and now, and that's what will help Newcastle keep progressing. Eddie Howe might not be getting excited, but the rest of us are, Chris. We're winning the bloody lot. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's all coming to Newcastle. Champions League, everything. Book the open top bus now. That's it. It's done. The Seller Cup again. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Right, get yourselves over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and sign up for The Athletic and pay just $1.99 a month for 12 months. Uh, We're twice a week now, uh, so subscribe and you won't miss Thursday's show. We'll discuss the trip to the Etihad in detail uh, and preview the new season for Becky Langley's NUFC women's team. Right, chaps, that's it. Thank you very much, Jacob Whitehead. Nice to have you back, mate. Toodaloo, pleasure. Absolutely, and Chris Wolf, thank you as thank well. Thank you very much for having me, yeah. I've enjoyed not being abused for one show. We haven't finished yet, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> There's still five seconds to go. There's still five seconds. What do you think? No, let's not this week. We'll, we'll let you have a week off. Uh, thank you to everyone out there who's listening as well. This has been Pod on the Time. Take care, have a good week, and we'll speak to you on Thursday.
Athletic.